Welcome to the Healthful Woman Podcast. Today is Thursday, May 14th, 2020. Today's podcast, Finding Your Inner Maverick, is with Sherry Teigman. Sherry is a performance mindset coach, a creative business strategist, and a regular podcaster herself. Sherry and I have known each other for 25 years, as she is one of my wife's closest childhood friends. Sherry and I talk about her work, how she came to a life of helping others, and what kinds of recurring themes she sees in her line of work. We also discuss her concept of being a maverick, and how we can find inspiration from others and within ourselves. Sherry and I have known each other forever, but this was really the first time we sat down to talk about all of this, and I really enjoyed it. I am sure you will too. I mentioned on Monday that Emily Oster would be coming back on Healthful Woman, but I got the day wrong. Emily and I are working to find what we call aligned expectations in our schedules, and we plan to have a podcast together next week. Thanks for listening to Healthful Woman. Have a great day. Welcome to today's episode of Healthful Woman, a podcast designed to explore topics in women's health at all stages of life. I'm your host, Dr. Nathan Fox, an OBGYN and maternal fetal medicine specialist practicing in New York City. At Healthful Woman, I speak with leaders in the field to help you learn more about women's health, pregnancy, and wellness. Okay, we're joined today by Sherry Teigman, who is a performance mindset coach and a creative business strategist. She's an old friend. She's an awesome person. Sherry, welcome to Healthful Woman. Thank you so much for having me. Minus the old friend, I'll take the rest of it. I'm not old. I'm a forever friend. <laughs> Long-term <laughs> friend. I am not old. Well, okay. Well, I'm old. You're not old. And we're the same <laughs> exactly. age. Exactly. I'm delusional and you're old. There you go. Excellent. Well, I'm really happy to have you here. Sherry and I have known each other for a super long time. Sherry and my wife, Michal, grew up together since they were little toddlers together. And, uh, and we've all been really close ever since. So this is pretty cool, huh? It is very cool. I love you crossing over into my world with podcasting. So this is very exciting to me, my world blend, and I love it. So for our listeners, first, tell us a little bit about yourself. You know, who are you? Where are you from? And, and what brought you to this uh, career that you're having now? Sure, absolutely. So I live right outside New York City, five minutes away from you. You know where I live. And um, I am a single mom of two man boys, 18 and 20. And interestingly, the way that I got here was from my own journey. So I lived in Englewood, lived the regular stay-at-home traditional life and got divorced in 2009 and really went on a personal development journey to find myself and what I wanted for the next stage of life after my divorce, which is a very common thing, whether it's a job change, a marriage change, you know, that point of life. I think I was 33 at the, 33 at the time. And I had been on a track that was a lovely one, but it just didn't belong to me. So once recovering from the whole idea of moving away from a life that I didn't want, I then looked, turned, and I didn't see anything in the future because I had never asked myself those questions. So I found my way in terms of really stripping back what I didn't want and kind of reverse engineering the life that I wanted. Who was I not? What did I not want? And then from there, really crafting and designing what I wanted my future to look like for me and my kids. And along that road, I fell down the rabbit hole of a personal development, which is an interesting story. I don't even know if you know this, you'll like this. At the time, I couldn't deal with the quiet of my own mind. So I always had noise going on in the background. And there was a girl that I went to high school with who was a couple of years older than me who's a professional organizer. And on Facebook, she was participating in this summit, which I didn't know what it was at the time. There were a bunch of speakers, life coaches, personal development, yoga teachers. And I turned it on just so that there wasn't 
my own voice in my head, which I wasn't ready to hear. And I was listening. I'm thinking, these. I didn't know this existed. People sound like me. They think like I do. And I, it was from that that it really developed that I started to explore the possibilities. So I worked on myself, and then I did a year-long yoga teacher training and coach training at the same time. I was really ready to transform and help other people with this. So that was seven years ago. I've had my business since then. And I think the reason I love it so much is because it's such a blend of my own growth with then being able to help people with what I know it feels like to not be where they want to be in both life and business. So it, I, I never get bored of it, which is a nice bonus. And so explain to me the the training, so to speak, or what you used in addition to you know, looking at yourself. You mentioned that you did yoga teacher. How did that come into all this? So really interestingly, and you know, as a doctor, you'll know very much how much the mind and body are tied together. Even if it means, you know, you as an athlete, the more you push yourself, you watch your mind react to your body, where maybe your body can run more miles than your mind can, and you play this mind game. So for me at the time, it was really about climbing back into myself physically and literally to, I remember my yoga trainer who was amazing, was an older guy, said, how you are on the mat is how you are off the mat. And I would think that applies to any sort of athleticism. Like I'm on the mat and I'm holding a pose and I'm watching myself get frustrated. That's how I do lots of things, get frustrated. So a lot of times we don't have the words or understanding for our emotional state, but we know when our body hurts. We know when our mind, when our, our body's reacting to our mind. So I realized at the time that I was so cerebral in trying to figure out and figure out the mistakes that I made. And I was getting so intense on being stuck in my head. I knew I had to get back in my body in order to figure out what I wanted for the rest of my life. So I had to push the limits of myself, both mentally and physically, so that I could really reset myself. Right. And then yoga also has that concept, like you said, of I've definitely heard that before. You know, I practice yoga myself and obviously my family, my wife, my daughter, were a big yoga family. That idea that both literally how you are on the mat, but also in sort of a sense figuratively, like the idea of balance and the idea mm -hmm. of pushing yourself and the idea yeah. of listening to yourself and calm and breathing and all of these things that you have to do in yoga in order to advance and to practice it are the exact same tools and skills that you need to use in life. Yes. And we don't learn them. We don't learn that in school. We're not wired naturally like that. And it's really a relearning of how to relate to yourself to understand where fear and excitement are on the same edge, where the unknown can catapult some people forward and hold other people back. Before I did it, I didn't want to do it. I'm like, I'm not getting on a mat and listening to the quiet of my own mind. Again, a recurring theme back then. And my friend kind of cajoled me onto the mat. And I remember the first time I did it, I was in yoga. I was in a child's pose, hysterically crying. I'm like, what happens on that mat? What looks like a magic carpet ride? <laughs> and it really is. I hate this even mat. If you come at it, you know? But even if you come at it from the athletic point of view, even if you're not in, you know, the woo spiritual kind of yoga, it is testing your own boundaries and finding out who you are and what you're capable of. And through that, you kind of can't unsee what you see. Right, right. And then also you have a lot of training in art and art therapy and a lot of, you know, creative type of arts. How did that come into play as well? So it's funny. I, I kind of bring it all together now. I'm naturally a very creative person. I see and think in colors, which sounds crazy, but I just found out today, actually. I don't remember the word for it, but that's actually a thing. So I think what I, the way I describe it to other people when I'm working with them is I think it's about finding the passion crumbs. So 
I studied sociology in college. Then I studied art therapy. I was a makeup artist for years. I did mosaic furniture. So there was like these passion crumbs that were kind of dropped to me of like, follow this, do this. And it was never the right thing. And now I see when I help people design their life and business, when I help them visualize what could be possible and then create it, it's all the same creative process. It was just I was doing it with a different medium. So ironically, the last art thing that I did before I started this, and I still do it as a hobby, was mosaics, which, you know, poetically is breaking parts of things to then create something beautiful, which is essentially what I help people do with their own lives, ways that they look at the world, their perspectives and habits. So it's actually not that different. I look back on the timeline and say, oh, it made sense. Where at the time, it felt very disjuncted. But that's kind of what the journey is for all of us. Even if you stay in the same career, marriage doesn't have to be this big upheaval necessarily, although for some it is. But it's that kind of pivot, like on a combination lock of finding out what keeps calling you, what keeps pulling you to try something, to read about something, something that you're interested in and you don't know why, usually has some wisdom in it for you. As I said before, you're a performance mindset coach and a creative business strategist. Can you explain what that means or what those mean? What I do both in people's lives and in their businesses is I help them create their exceptional self for a career that performs. So a lot of my current clients are entrepreneurs who built their own thing, you know, real creative minds who don't fit in a box don't want to fit in a box, have spent their whole lives trying to get out of it, and we really create what they want. But I also work with a lot of people just in their lives, just figuring out what kind of parent they want to be, what kind of spouse they want to be, remembering themselves. So the performance mindset of this takes place in the sense that the difference between a coach slash mentor and a therapist is talk therapy will take you back. It will take you to places that maybe is where you got stuck or stories that you tell yourself, which is all extremely important. I'm not diminishing that. Coaching is more moving forward, planning forward. So the performance aspect of it really comes down to optimizing who you are for better performance in all areas of your life. We don't have to rip open every wound. And, you know, when trauma comes up and things like that, I immediately, I have therapists that I will send clients to. There's stuff that I won't touch. I'm not trained in that. But a lot of it, for most of us, whether big trauma or small, it could be that your fourth grade teacher told you that you're not a good public speaker, and then you're asked to speak at a conference, and you're frozen in panic, and you have no idea why. So everyone has stuff, both good and bad, positive and negative, our strengths and weaknesses. And what I help people do is kind of alchemize all of that into the optimized version of themselves so that fear doesn't stop them. They can see themselves in a different light than the small story that they tell themselves. I, I work a lot with archetypes, which is kind of almost like a superhero version of yourself, superimposing what would the greatest version of me do if I wasn't scared. And then we can actually see what people want because so many people are driven by fear and what they think they're allowed to have that I don't think career and life work separately. For so many of us, our identities have come from what we've done our whole lives, what we did for our parents, what we got in school, even as adults, where 25 years ago, it is still the hat in which we wear. So I help people switch out their costumes so they can create something that they didn't know was possible for them. And it's so interesting when you mention the idea of you know strengths and weaknesses and positives and negatives. I'm curious, in your experience and when you're working with people if you had to break it down, what percentage of the time are you spending helping people focus on their strengths versus the percentage of time you're helping them 
sort of work and correct their weaknesses? Great question. I love that you asked that. The ironic thing is I blend them together because people separate them almost like on an old fashioned scale where it's weighted down with all of your weaknesses and we don't notice our strengths. We bring it together to understand that we are one person. The person who's amazing at this and sucks at something else is the same person. It's not a separate amount of traits. Or for example, I te- my whole business and brand is about being a maverick, living life on your terms. And there are different areas. So someone could really shine in their career and be really crappy at taking care of themselves or have great relationships, but they don't use creativity anywhere in their life. So the strengths and weaknesses are really two sides of the coin, because if we use the strengths to then take a look at the weaknesses without the judgment and fear, which so many of us do, like we close off parts of ourselves, like, oh, you don't know the whole me. I would never show this to anyone. And then we're in this overachievement loop of making sure no one ever finds out the real us, where the weaknesses with a light shown on them, say, you know, my strengths cannot weigh that. And sometimes our weaknesses end up being our great strengths. Like I'm, as you know me my whole life, I'm very emotional. It's just the way I'm wired. I care a lot. I cry a lot. I used to think that was a problem. How was I ever going to be a grown-up businesswoman? In the end, I built an entire career, international career, on the fact that I'm as empathetic and emotional as I am because it builds trust with someone. So that was a weakness for me in the wrong category But when I saw, wait a second, I do things differently and I don't have to change that or become someone that it looks like in a magazine or on a paper that this is what their role is. When we start to use all the parts of us, it builds a confidence to make us much more unstoppable in all areas because it's the uniqueness that makes us stand out. Otherwise, you blend in so much. I'm sure I've no doubt even in the medical field, you know, there's certain doctors, technically, many of you do the same thing, but it's the bedside manner. It's the creative processing, the way you problem solve, the way you see something. You're always looking to learn your way, which could have been, okay, he's too analytical. He never, he never stops learning. Look how much that serves you in why you get chosen by people because you leaned into it and you made it something that works rather than something that holds you back. It's so interesting that you mentioned that because in my, as I've gotten older, sorry again, <laughs> further, I, I've I've had either by choice or by no choice taken on positions of leadership. And I have people who I either have to mentor or people who, you know, either work, you know, with me or under me or, or I have to train or whatever. And one of the great lessons I learned through this process from one of my mentors, uh, Andre Rebarber, is the idea that in medicine and certainly it's in other places, so much of what leaders do is they take the people around them and they hone in on their weaknesses and they just beat them up for it and say, you know, mm-hmm. all right, you're really good at this, but you're not good at this. We have to make that better. And it's always about improving what they're not good at. But in fact, people can't do that. It just doesn't work like that. There's a reason it's a weakness for them. And so yeah. one way to alleviate that is to not focus on their weaknesses and to really just concentrate on their strengths and how to highlight them and how to emphasize them and how to put them in positions where their strengths can be used, you know, and to help others. And the other way, which is what you were mentioning, is not changing the weakness, but redirecting it or sort of looking at it in a different way and saying, all right, maybe in one context, it's a weakness, but in another context, that might be a strength as you said, and just sort of getting the person into a different context 
to use that now and build it as a strength and just instead of trying to just quote unquote improve them. It doesn't really work. Exactly right. I mean, you just nailed it. And the reason is because the way our brains are wired. If you have a belief system about how you do something and it is in your mind a weakness, you immediately can access the same problem solving aspects that you can when you feel driven by something. It's just, you know, trying to reach your left arm swinging around to your right arm. So there, it's just that the muscle has not been exercised there. Now, I'm not saying everyone can master everything, but if you come at it something with curiosity, with different what-if questions, with putting down the assumptions and the stories and the beliefs you have about an area, then it's just something to learn. No one naturally knows how to ride a bike. No one naturally goes to the gym and only exercises the right arm and then wonders why the left isn't strong. That's the same thing here. So you just nailed it. If you apply the same thinking, forward thinking that we all have in an area that we feel courageous and confident in, and then use that heightened physical, emotional flow state of everything rushing forward, right and left brains engaged, things firing off, and then in that moment switch over because we've all, no matter how old we are, we still have, you know, our brains are wired and they kind of stop learning at seven and eight when it comes to how we see the world and our fight or flight. Your amygdala is stuck at a place where it's going to stay just to keep you safe. We rely on our brains to give us new answers. We're primal animals that are just making sure we don't get eaten by a tiger. So assuming your brain's going to give you what you want is one of the biggest problems when it comes to changing what you want to believe because you're looking for an answer in a place that only knows how to do one thing. So it's rewiring what your belief system is, changing physically your neurology to say, I can get more space in here to ask myself a different question, to believe something different, and frankly, to use the experience of something that I know how to do well in order to learn how to do something different. You've run on streets. If you had to go run on a rough terrain, you wouldn't take your shoes off and start running upside down. You would say, here's what I know up to this point, and here's what I don't know. So all I quote unquote need to do is learn the parts I don't know using what I know instead of starting from scratch. Most of us have this mastery idea that this beginner mind is scary and I'm going to own this and we try to speed through and that's when the weaknesses kick up because it's very fear-based and that's always going to win unless we use creativity rather than push and drive to force something that is natural. Because like you said, if someone could change it, they would have changed it already. It's not because they don't want to. It's because they have a wrapped up story around it. Everyone has weaknesses. No one has, totally. no one's perfect. No one has all strengths. And that's just, you know, that's just who we are as humans. And sometimes if we focus so much on that, we don't get to actually find our own zone of genius. You know, there's a lot of zones of competency. Okay. this, And I spend most of my time there. Of course, we're not going to feel confident, but in this mastering of all of our weaknesses, we miss out on the one thing that we dismiss as, oh, well, I'm just like that. I'm good at math. I'm good at speaking to people. I'm good at holding people's emotions, but I don't know how to do all this other stuff. And we forget that that's probably what you're meant to do in your life and businesses focus on that. In terms of your your line of work, how does it work logistically? Like, How do people find you? Is it is it word of mouth? Is it you know, Google searches, like how does someone come across you and say, hey, I want to do this? So all of the above, a lot of, I work mainly online. I have a lot of online content, YouTube channel, uh, all the social media platforms. I do a lot of free videos. I run a lot of free workshops because this is scary stuff. This is not, I need a doctor and I'm going to it. Someone has to consciously choose 
to walk into the battlefield of their own head to say, I want something better for myself. So I create a lot of content because it creates a trust in me for someone to kind of observe and then walk closer. Most of my work is referral-based or I'd say the online networking where I just have become known in that area. And weirdly, 95% of my clients right now are based in the UK and it just it's just because it built there. So I travel well in theory before the world became a different world. I used to get on, in the olden days, I used to get on a plane, speak on big stages, run workshops there. And people always ask me, how, you know, I live right outside New York City. It's not like there's a lack of people here, but it was really interesting. I think the British crowd has kind of taken to me because I'm alike enough and I'm different enough. There's a safety in the fact that I don't sound like their mom or their sister. I have a different, you know, have the New York attitude is something that's appealing. And it just shows what it takes for someone to trust is something, sometimes something different enough that they can say, okay, I'm not repeating the same thing, even in the choice of a mentor to help them walk through this. That's interesting. And so who would be like a typical client of yours? Is there even typical? There isn't typical, but I will tell you the characteristics that are common across the board from people who are retiring, corporate people who are leaving their jobs, got a severance package and are figuring out the next stage of life at 60, down to the young single mom, across the board is number one, a readiness for change. Number two, Everyone has a, have to have a little bit of a crazy gene to come near me in the sense that they, they follow the rules and there's an itch for more of like, I know there's something more. I know I've done fine, but, you know, they're looking for, I wouldn't say an adrenaline hit because this is a steady growth thing, but they want what I call the creative spark. They're looking for their edge of how can they be more? How can they make more, have more of an impact in their life? Even if it's just in their nuclear family, they want to feel more. So many of us are so numbed out by life, by all of the have-tos and all of the constructs that have been crafted around us, that we can easily forget who we are, even those who, of us who are pretty aware. So does this mean that the Fox family has the crazy gene because we hang out Those with you? My peeps. Yes. Well, you really, to be honest with you, you really don't have a choice. This was like kind of grandfather did. I guess that's the case, but it's all right. I've been good with it. It's all good. I mean, what are you going to do? Return me now after like 700 years of friendship? I'm taking the dogs in the custody battle, by the way. <laughs> well, we, we get credit for, I guess, a performance mindset coaching you into liking dogs. There you go. I mean, honestly, <laughs> if that was not a transformational thing, you do get unbelievable credit for that. If you were to say that there were recurring themes that comes up with your clients, uh, I know you're sort of saying like conceptually what it is, but what are the things you see a lot of? Like this is, you know, every day someone's calling you with the same, whether it's a problem or same uh, situation. Great question. So I'll say the five things I see the most common. Number one, someone doesn't feel the same way as other people see them. So you could be a high achieving executive and you feel you're crippled by anxiety and imposter syndrome, like someone's going to find you out that you don't know what you know. A lot. That's number one. Number two is work-life balance, which I actually don't believe in. That's probably a whole nother podcast episode, that they're nailing it in one area and they stink in the other areas. And they think there's something broken because they can't seem to figure it out. I'm going to interrupt number you th for a second yes, because sure. I also don't believe in work-life 
work-life Thank balance. You. The the word the word should be harmony, not balance. Yes. Balance implies balance implies they're equal. Flow. Yeah. There's, you know when to hold them, and you know when to fold them. There's a time for each to shine in their own. Oh, I'm so glad you agree, Noodle. <laughs> By the way, anyone listening, I call him Noodle. I don't call him Nady. This is a 20 year old nickname. Um, so that's number two. Number three is hit a level of achievement and kind of banging them their heads against the wall of why they can't break through the next level of success. So either it happens, quote unquote, organically or naturally, and now they want to figure out their own algorithm, so to speak, of like, how do I crack myself for the next level, which also is a misnomer, but that is what they come for. Number four is a dull malaise of boredom and numbness in their life, where on the outside, it all looks really good and they don't feel anything. And I'd say number five, just a desire to get to know themselves better. So many of us have been on a track our whole lives that we've never asked ourselves a lot of these questions. And it can be either empty nest syndrome, jobs changing, physical changes, someone gains, uh, loses a lot of weight, they forget who they are, and they realize I may not have ever known who I was. And so I'd say those are the five, there's a lot that goes underneath those. But from a pain point list, why they would choose me as their specialist, that's what comes up. And how much of that fits in with the idea of mental health, so to speak? Is it really a lot of that? Or is it more focus and management skills? Or because you mentioned before, you know, anxiety, and which is, you know, so prevalent, and people have this to varying level degrees, how much do you get into that and help people with those things? I would say there's a percentage of each person, and I'm not a medical professional. So take everyone take this with a grain of salt when you hear me, even someone who suffers from a chemical imbalance in their brains needs management skills. So while I won't go into the aspect of the trauma, the chemical, you know, there are people I send straight to a doctor to get diagnosed and put on medication, they still have to learn the tools of how to function every day. I mean, as someone who has been on medication at a point in my life years ago during my divorce for anxiety, you know, low level, just kind of get through the day through a rough period of time. A lot of the times people are numbed out on that and then they still don't know what to do. So they're like, well, now I'm on medication. I don't feel as scared. Why do I still not know what to do? So again, we weren't taught these skills. So I'd say for all of this, it's chicken egg. Sometimes the mental illness or health mental stuff comes up first, and then we create habits that cripple us from growing because it's what we believe. And on the other hand, sometimes we're so limited by what we allow ourselves to do that we can create anxiety. We can create problems and panic attacks and all this because we just haven't had the expansiveness in our lives. I'd say for everyone, there's an element of part self-belief and then cultural appropriation here where you're feeling like this, there must be something wrong with you instead of maybe you're just entirely in the wrong category of your life. And if you just moved, you would suddenly feel alive. Even within mental health, there's the same concept. I was speaking to exactly. a, I was speaking to a psychiatrist and talking to him about sort of the idea of, you know, using medication on one hand and therapy on another. And what he was telling me is that it's not like there are two types of therapy. In in many cases, someone will need the medication in order to get them to be open to the therapy because they're just not able to sort of absorb the concepts that go into therapy. And that's true, not just with like hardcore psychiatric therapy, but also just the idea of, you know, self-help and awareness and all these things. And sometimes without the medication, you're not open to those changes because your brain just won't let you. And so there is the concept of, you know, for some people, obviously not everybody, for some people using medication, 
But then there is that second step. It's that's just one level to get you sort of better. But then there's, you know, moving forward, like you said, and whether it's therapy or whether it's skill building or whatever it might be that you have to use them together. All good therapists will agree with that, even if medication is the journey, because it's to get someone to a coping place where they can set a new course for themselves to not keep getting caught in the quagmire of their own life to say, okay, what are the coping skills? What are the things that we need to work on? Not solving every problem of the world, but how will each day be different now that you can feel a little better? I mean, how beautiful is it to take the ownership back? There's no doctor who wants a codependent patient because they're not actually helping them then. So it's let's get you to a place where you can coast a little bit and then rebuild. And then then we can see where the medication fits in. And for some people, that's a lifelong journey. For other people, it's, you know, a blip on the screen and then they feel entirely different. So, you know, I, I believe correctly use it's a tool, which then someone gets to press restart, especially when it's an acute thing where it's from a trauma, from an experience, or, you know, obviously a lifelong thing, no one is trapped by where they are, even with serious medical chemical conditions. There's a whole plethora of tools. I mean, your wife knows most of them to be able to say, okay, this is what we're working with. These are the ingredients. What cocktail are we going to come up with? We don't have to be babbling, drooling in a corner just because something happened or we feel a certain way. Sometimes those are the most connected people because they know what it feels like. I want to switch gears for a second because you mentioned before this idea that you're, one of your themes is being a maverick. And I know that one of your podcasts that you run is called Mavericks in Motion. Explain what do you mean by maverick? So a maverick by definition is someone who thinks out of the box, lives life on their terms, has a unique perspective on life. And it's not about being a rebel. A lot of people who don't want to fit into the regular norm of, you know, marching to the same job, having no personality, blah, 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 which is what a lot of us rebel against. But then you're constantly pushing against something. You don't actually stand for something. Where a maverick kind of creates their own inner landscape of their beliefs, things that are they're passionate about. And it's a much more self-sufficient within the larger world, individualized plan for yourself. So when you can feel whole within yourself, you're internally driven, your goals belong to you. It's not in reflection of what you've been or defense of what you haven't been. It makes it a lot easier to lower the guard on judgment of other people or stand out in any area of your life by saying, this is what I believe, not because you don't, but because I have a voice and I have value. When people can kind of step into that idea of themselves, they immediately expand to what else is possible. So they may go for a bigger promotion. They may be braver to ask someone out on a date. They're comfortable with their own skin. They're not waiting for people to save them all the time. It moves people off of that like victim martyr spectrum of we're always dancing between who needs me, what do I need? It's just this real self-ownership and self-empowerment. It's like, okay, I'm good with me, with all of the parts of me. I'm quirky, I'm this, whatever I am. Now I can move forward and be of value to the world and have an impact because I'm not busy trying to be everything for everyone and nothing for myself. Got it. So it's not just a tribute to Tom Cruise and Top Gun. Exactly. Although it may be partially that. It's not totally that. I mean, it can't hurt. <laughs> I've listened to the podcast and I've, I've loved it. But just so people who haven't yet... Who are you? Who do you interview on this podcast? Like, what is it about? So the reason that I came up with this podcast is because what I hear from a lot of people when they start with me, and this is just a natural process of being a human being, we compare ourselves all day long. 
he's fatter, she's skinnier, I'm smarter, he's stupider. We just create our lives around where we fit in all spectrums so that we feel that we belong. When I talk about being a maverick or when I talk about personal growth, I hear from all these people, no, but Sherry, I'm different. I can't do that. I, I'm, I'm scared of things. I'm this. And we think it's this condition that only we have. So when I started out with the premise of this podcast, I've been podcasting since 2015. I have another solo podcast called Sh uh, The Shamble Show, Sherry Rambles. But I knew that there was needed a voice for people to understand that people who do extraordinary things are not any different than you and I. They are like everyone else. They have the same fears. They have the same desires to be safe and to be calm, but they've gotten out of their own way to create their maverick self. So I took this upon myself that I was either going to go big or go home, and I figured I'd go big. Now I'm going big and going home. So I interview a variety of people, people who do extraordinary things. So I interviewed a guy who was actually in the movie Snatch. He's a British guy. He became, he was an actor. He became homeless and started shoe shining in London. He got himself off of his feet. The Sunshine Company, a, right? Exactly. Yeah. The Sunshine Company. And he's, that was one of my favorite interviews because it was really like a coaching call. We went deep, but this guy created from literally nothing. And in the moment that it switched for him, he had one of those sliding door moments. He saved one of his other homeless friends from jumping off a train. And it kind of shocked him to, what am I doing with my life? He now has the biggest shoeshine company in all of Europe. And he only employs people who are mentally ill. So he says, you know, his employee issues are Bob stripped down in the corporate office and ran naked because he was off of his schizophrenia medication. So we were laughing about it, but he employs homeless and mentally ill, actually both of those. Our handed sets of conditions in our life, whether by circumstance, by reality, by who we are, you know, this is a whole nother spiritual conversation, but taking what you have and spinning it into gold. There's another guy who's the world record gold winning about five or six times adaptive surfer this amazing extreme athlete who was in a very bad accident and is paralyzed from the waist down and he was not going to not be keep going so he's south african he lives in panama now so not only does he adaptive surf and win um all of the gold medals He's building a rehab center with his own hands and a couple of guys in Panama. He's in a wheelchair for rehab for extreme athletes because after his accident, he was put into a home where he beautifully learned to brush his teeth again and pour a glass of water. And this is a guy, I think he was in his 30s when it happened. You know, he was jumping off of mountains and a maniac and he said, I don't want to live like this. So he's building a rehab center where they're literally throwing these people off of their wheelchairs, they have to crawl to the sea and get back on the on the um, paddle boards and surfboards and learn again how to live the life they had before, not live another version of themselves. So we're talking crazy. A few, uh, a couple of NHL players, a couple of NFL players who do incredible things. One guy's climbing all eight summits of the world. He's a former NFL player, NHL player who was sexually abused by coaches and now speaks about trauma after winning gold Olympic and uh, captain of um, 
I think they won the Stanley Cup. Uh, he's Canadian, Theo Flory. So we're talking very extreme people. And what I talk about with them, they say to me, every single one say to me after the interview, I've never been interviewed like that. I don't want to hear the glory story. I want to hear what happens when they're scared. I want to know what part of their brain made them do that. And the ironic thing of all of the interviews that I've done, none of them see themselves as a maverick. They look at me like I'm crazy when I say, like, it's just what I do. But then we unpack the story and realize it's always a choice. So I created the show for people to, and I think you'll understand this now being a podcast host, not everyone is ready for these conversations, but everyone's ready to hear them. So if I can impact one person to, that someone else they put a pedestal on, well, they're this and they're that, to know that they sleep the same way that you do, you're, they're scared the same way you do, they question themselves the same way that you do, greatness is possible for all of us if we're willing to be brave enough to try, to fail, to succeed and then fail again. And every single one of them tells a story and you hear the human side of them is like, wow, that's a lot of glory. But what I want to hear is like, what's their favorite breakfast? What do they do when they're scared? What do they do when they're excited? How do they know how to figure stuff out? And so I think it's why the podcast has done so well, because at the end of each show, you feel inspired by the story, but also inspired by yourself. Like, well, they sounded like me. I'm not that different. And that was my goal. I think it's it's so inspiring to hear from these people. And I think there's two ways to look at it. I think there's the way that you mentioned where you sort of identify people who are so obviously inspirational. I mean, you look at these people like, oh, my God, like, how do they do what they do? And then just sort of break it down and sort of expose the fact that they're regular people and they have, you know, fears and, you know, things they like, things they dislike, things they do and things they can't do, just like the rest of us, which is enlightening and also inspirational. And I think there's another way to look at it. I was actually, I was interviewed for Mia, my eighth grade daughter's class, or I guess school this week, because, you know, they're trying to look for content on Zoom, you know, what to do for the Mm. kids. And so one of the other parents interviewed me and we were talking, it was about medicine and just in general with, you know, Corona and this or that. And one of the things that came up that I was talking about is this idea of heroes. And, you know, suddenly with all of this pandemic that's coming around, you know, the, everyone in the medical profession, you know, suddenly we're all heroes, you know, all, all of the nurses, the doctors, and we've been doing this all for years, but, you know, it's wonderful and people, you know, recognize and appreciate everything that healthcare workers are doing, but we sort of got, you know, elevated onto this pedestal. And what I was telling the kids and talking about was, you know, the, the person who works at my front desk and greets every patient with a smile and, you know, comes to work and takes the same risk And, you know, she's not a medical professional, but is she any less brave than the rest of us or any less noble than the rest of us? And she's a hero in the same regard. And this idea that if you look around the world, people who you think are sort of quote unquote regular are actually doing heroic things all the time. If we just open our eyes to it and recognize what efforts people are putting in to help others, we can see it even in the people who aren't already on a pedestal. And the inspirational part of that is that each one of us has an opportunity to do that ourselves. Again, if we keep our eyes open and our hearts open and look for these opportunities, anybody can do something heroic and make a difference in the world and someone else's life. And I think that what you're talking about is is the exact same thing just flipped on its head. You know, looking at the people who are already considered quote unquote heroes or whatever and going backwards. I think that's a message for everybody in terms of, you know, with their own lives and their own struggles that there is a road 
to whether you call it, you know, maverick or heroism or whatever it is that anyone can really get there if they're open to it. Yeah. And it's it's an everyday choice. I use the example all the time. Of like there's Beyonce and Tasha Fierce. Beyonce wants to sit in sweatpants and pajamas, eating chocolate, watching her kids play. But there's a part of her that she splits off to the performance side who then creates something that other people can't by design, by drive, by resiliency, by choice. We all have that, but so many people live their lives waiting for permission from other people to make it okay for them to try things. Where most people, even when people love us, whether it's our family, our partners, we all want everyone to stay safe. So a lot of times the things that hold us back are other people's desire to keep us safe, and then we never actually find out who we are. But if you can start to stretch that in whatever small way, no one has to turn into Beyonce, but even in a small way of, like you said, a belief, a way to see that you have impact, which doesn't feel great, that not everyone sees, that isn't splashed all over the place, but it gives you an internal driver. I mean, some people are outcome-driven and some people are process-driven. I teach a lot of process because we become who we want to be, by the small moves. It's not by the outcome because our goals always end up moving the line. The minute you get there, whether it's a financial goal or a position at work, or I'm going to have the perfect house with 2.3 kids, a dog and a picket fence, you get there and it doesn't feel like anything that you thought it would because it wasn't internally driven by what you truly want and what your values are for life. And flipping that story, you get to create whatever you want, regardless of what the result is. How have you seen any of this change with what's going on in the world with corona and quarantine and you know fear how has that affected a sort of your your business like you know people coming to you and in terms of just on the micro level what people are worried about and talking about with you i feel bad saying this but i'm going to say it anyway the world has finally become a maverick playground I am seeing people have brave conversations with their partners while they're not sitting in their offices, realizes like in these aha moments, oh my God, for 40 years, I've been doing something I couldn't give a crap about. The perspectives and priorities got shifted instantly for all of us. None of us would have believed any of this would be happening. And because of that, people are now finally looking inside and saying, wait a second, at all different levels. If what I believe from the outside, and I'm not touching politics and all that, there's a million variations to this. But if what I thought was real and was regular and was what I used to distract me from the journey of my life, I'm too busy. I have these responsibilities has all been stripped away. Everyone right now is literally home sitting in their stuff. And you and I were joking beforehand, while you're going to work every day, your commute's really different. Like even regular isn't regular anymore. We have no choice but to go internal. And frankly, my business is busier than it ever was because people are stepping <laughs> up, to, which is crazy. I honestly thought at the start of this, like, oh God, you know, this, I was telling myself a story and I realized now all of a sudden the excuses are gone and people are raising their hands daily I want more. I want to actually feel something. If life is going to be this volatile, you know, there's this false sense of security for so many of us in so many areas of our life. And when someone dies tragically, it shakes us. When someone, um, when we get fired from a job, but we are, you know, there's a regulatory system in our brain where we just go back to autopilot as fast as we can because it feels safe. We don't have that right now. There's a lot of unknown. So people are willing or forced to look at things and say, well, the only thing I know is my reaction to things. And my phone is ringing off the hook. I mean, I've been working 14-hour days every day happily because there's a readiness factor that wasn't there for so many people of like, 
I'm the only one who can change this for me right now. My internal landscape, what it feels like in my home, you know, if we start worrying too macro, we're all going to go nuts. So there's this sudden reflection that is a beautiful byproduct of a horrible pandemic. I mean, devastated for all the people who are dying, of course, but for the people who are reawakening, let's say, it's magical. I think there's so much about this that has been obviously horrible, and there's so much about this that has been, again, inspirational. And there's also, there's so much more maybe contemplating that's gone on before just by force. Like you said, you're sitting around at home and you're like, well, how much did I really like that job or was going to the office what I wanted to do? Or now that I'm home with my family, either you have a new appreciation for, oh my God, I love being with my family. I need to spend more time with them. Or you realize, oh my God, we have these problems that we buried by going to work. And now they're like, you know, coming up every day, you know, around the water cooler at home and I have to deal with them and all of the above and, you know, and some of the above everybody. And I think in all different areas, because you can feel better in some, it just, the vellum of human condition has been lifted and we're all literally sitting in our stuff. And <laughs> and it'll be interesting how it plays out because some people will step up. I said to a client the other day, there's like a dog whistle of change. So for those of us who are willing to step up and want to want more for our life, we won't be able to unsee it. And for those who want to dig deeper into wanting to be led by other people, there's nothing wrong with it. If it's a safety thing, then, you know, God bless you, go right ahead, whatever will feel good. But it will be a real defining moment. None of us will be the same after this. I don't think there's going to be the old normal. It'll be really interesting to see. Look, there's a lot of grief going on. So like you said, there are different phases of this. We were all numb for a while. Some people are getting more revved up. People are focusing on their bodies differently, what they're eating because food isn't as readily available. It's a really, really interesting bottle shaker here. We're going to see what lands. <laughs> Our last few minutes, I want to change gears one more time and talk about you for a moment. The first thing is, you know, you've been doing this for a while now, as you said, for, you know, for multiple years, and you're sort of helping people, you know, unlock themselves and go through this process. What have you learned about yourself in this journey? I have transformed myself. I'm not even talking like worm to butterfly, maybe about 700 times. I am someone who I know a lot of people in my industry and I don't judge how they do it, but it's very, very easy to sit on a pedestal and pretend you have a golden scepter of seeing things for people, whether intuitively from experience, the combination of both, you know, getting getting to know people just like I'm sure when you walk into the office after all the years that you've done it you already can solve the problem before you see someone just by the symptoms and, you know, the way your brain works. I have the same thing, but if I leave myself out of that growth, I have swore to myself when I started this, I would never send someone or take someone a place I have, ripping open things I may not want to. You know, I, I want to be the clearest vessel to be the best support for someone rather than just waxing poetically and screwing up my own life on my own. And I'm extremely human and make lots of mistakes like everyone else. And ironically, I think why my business has become so successful is because I'm very raw and vulnerable about my own growth. I talk about it all the time. And this is different with therapy and doctors where, you know, you're supposed to keep that line of professionalism of we don't talk about ourselves. In the coaching industry, a lot of how the business is built is through storytelling. So that's obviously wired for me. I never shut up, as you can all see. So um, (laughs) I'll be honest with you, the business has pushed me to work on myself more than I would have if I went and got a regular job because I wouldn't have to. I would do what everyone else does. You know, I'd love to say, oh, no, I'd be this enlightened person. I wouldn't be. I would do what everyone else does. And 
it's not by accident that that happened, that I chose this because once I kind of woke up to what I wanted, I didn't want to go back to sleep and it's very easy to. So I've had to face a lot about mistakes I've made in the past. I've had to face a lot about what I believe about myself. And I think lately the thing I've been really working on is I'm seen in a certain way in my industry and I still feel like little Sherry. You know, when I'm with you guys, I'm still the Sherry I was at 18, but there are people who've assigned hope and inspiration to me and that's heavy to carry. So for a lot of us in our careers, and I'm sure you have the same thing, you know, you're a celebrity in your environment. Oh, Dr. Fox is walking in. It's an interesting dance to carry of like, oh, I'm the same guy I was beforehand. I'm the same girl. And learning how to individuate other people's assignment of you and who you are internally and make sure your ego doesn't get too big or you're staying relevant to yourself and not lifting off has been, I think, the biggest test for me to not believe what people think about me, but to really continue to do my own work to be the best I can be when people aren't watching. Just because when they watch, I help them. It doesn't mean it's not easy to forget about doing my own work and facing my own stuff. Yeah, I'm not sure if anyone's ever said, ooh, Dr. Fox is coming in. And if they did, that probably I'm stops sorry, very quickly. I'm sorry, that's not what I've heard. I've <laughs> been in the room where people have seen a family member of yours or someone says a name like, oh, Dr. Fox from outside. I'm like, he's my friend. I know him forever. <laughs> and so, and so, so, so that's what you've, you know, what you're learning about yourself. What have you learned about people? So I'll be honest with you, it goes in phases. Sometimes I hate them. Sometimes I love them. I mean, I joke with my clients. But <laughs> like our, really like ourselves. Exactly. <laughs> I don't like people. I like souls. So people do a lot of people things like hide behind masks or pretend things that aren't true or tell themselves story and, you know, pump themselves up, pull themselves down. I find that exhausting. I can't have small talk where I used to be for all the years you knew me, Miss Extroverted, Miss Party Animal. I'm a loner now. I'm by myself most of the time because like I pull in a lot of people's stuff. I need a lot of recharge time. So I'm a people observer now rather than a participant like I used to be. And it's funny because if you say my name to anyone we know from when we were younger, they would never believe like that's not a different Sherry. That doesn't make any sense. But I think people inherently want to do better and they don't know how. I think there's a lot of fear that creates a lot of story. You know, the, the trite adage of hurt people hurt people. Most of us don't know how to do better. So it's been disappointing and inspiring to get in the minds of so many hundreds of people that I've worked with to find out that we're all really the same and the stories that come out and the situations we get ourselves in are just based upon not knowing ourselves. So on one hand, it makes me want to go save the world. And on the other hand, it makes me want to go get a tinfoil hat, buy a bunch of canned goods and go to the woods and never come out. It just depends on the day. <laughs> <laughs> well, listen, I, I'm so happy that you came on uh, the podcast to talk to talk to me and talk to our listeners. Uh, it's always fun to talk to you. Obviously, we've done this before, but this is our first formal podcast session together. It's really cool. For people who want to find you, you have a website. It's www.sherryteigman.com. I'll spell that for anyone. It's a S-H-A-R-I-T-E-I-G-M-A-N.com. Or they can search your podcasts. The first is Mavericks in Motion. And the second, as you said before, was The Shamble show for Sherry Rambles. And thank you so much. I really appreciate it. And I obviously look forward to seeing you in the near future. And you should be very well and uh, successful in what you do and helping others. Thank you. I adored this conversation. Thank you so much for having me. I feel honored to have been chosen on here. And I'm just so proud of you that you're doing this. I know you're a very busy person. And I know you've got a lot of passions. And I just think this is 
so key because there's, you know, there's side of you that you, this is preventative life stuff in a way. And it's so beautiful. You've taken the time and energy because people really need to hear this stuff to know that it's not symptom by symptom. There's a holistic view on everything. And I just think it's gorgeous that it's coming from you because your voice, other people can't speak to that. And I love that. (laughs) That's awesome. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening to the Healthful Woman Podcast. To learn more about our podcast, please visit our website at www.healthfulwoman.com. That's H-E-A-L-T-H-F-U-L-W-O-M-A-N.com. If you have any questions about this podcast or any other topic you would like us to address, please feel free to email us at hw at healthfulwoman.com. Have a great day. The information discussed in Healthful Woman is intended for educational uses only. It does not replace medical care from your physician. Healthful Woman is meant to expand your knowledge of women's health and does not replace ongoing care from your regular physician or gynecologist. We encourage you to speak with your doctor about specific diagnoses and treatment options for an effective treatment plan.